Feel free to carry on meditating if you wish in the same way or if it's helpful to change posture Uh, to open the eyes then of course that's also welcome. And so before um, before flowing into the um, Dharma talk for today, just uh, just a couple of things. Um, one is that um, if there's anything that you would like us to address in the teachings tomorrow. Um, or in the final day, then uh, we would really love you to leave us a note about it. (laughs) So it can be in the form of a question, it can be in the form of, can you say more about this? Or, you know, how to respond to this in in practice. Um, And so the way to do that is to leave us a note uh, with that. So if you're Um, at the Zen Centre, then leave us a note on the notice board and um, and Annika and Shimon will uh, kind of pass it on to us and if you are online, then please use the the notice board where you can send us a message through the online notice board. So we will do our best to then (laughs) kind of cover all of that as as much as we can. We're kind of aware that this is, you know, it's quite a I was just thinking about it today. You know, Brahma Viharas in one week. That's kind of quite a lot of territory not touched or not covered, perhaps. So um, we'd like to kind of uh, try and cover as much as we can that is interesting for you or relevant for you in your own exploration and practice. So that's one thing. And if you can do that by the instructions tomorrow morning, then that will uh, will allow us a little bit of time to uh, argue amongst ourselves what to do with that material. Uh, Yeah, we we love an argument. Just joking. (laughs) A debate. So, um, yeah, if you can can do that by the instructions tomorrow morning, then we'll do our best to to attend to it, to respond to it. Um, There will be still a question and response period after the instructions tomorrow which is kind of more specifically around maybe practice questions or reflections. Um, also for tomorrow, particularly for those in the, in the centre, um, so there's no assigned interviews tomorrow. We are going to be offering some slots um, to sign up for if you wish to discuss your practice. So kind of having some discernment, um, we will address issues of transitioning to, to daily life practice and things like that. Uh, in the talks tomorrow and then the closing day, but if there's something around your practice uh, while you're on retreat, um, then please feel free to sign up for that. And I think Annika's going to put those out um, at the end of, uh, after the talk this evening, uh, this afternoon, after this talk now. I think that was it. As far as kind of the practicalities of the retreat. So, um, 
this afternoon I'd like to um, explore more the the fourth Brahma Vihara equanimity. Yeah. It's like even I say that and I'm kind of like quaking <laughs> because like, you know, forty five minutes to talk about equanimity. Uh, so by no means is this gonna be conclusive or comprehensive. Yeah. So uh, lifetime or lifetimes of, of practice and um reflection and contemplation and all of the Brahma Bihara, we might say equanimity in particular. And uh, I think it might be worth just beginning with just pausing for a moment and seeing what that word um, brings up for you of equanimity. What does it mean for you? Uh, uh, How does it feel when you drop that in? Equanimity. How does that feel? Just checking in, seeing what comes up. And again, I'm not going to be comprehensive, so you certainly don't need to be. <laughs> but just feeling for yourself what, what the flavor is, what the meaning is for you uh, at this time. Kind of being aware, perhaps, as we're doing this, that you know, equanimity in English also is quite an unusual word. It's not a commonly used word, um, so it is worth unpacking and kind of spending time with contemplating. And maybe beginning by saying, in 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 Dharma teaching, you know, this is equanimity is. Um, one of the kind of most sublime uh, attitudes and ways of relating that we cultivate on the path. Yeah. And we're cultivating it, you know, all the time when we're practicing. Yeah. From that very kind of, you know, just a very basic initial mindfulness instruction yeah, of noticing where our, our attention is uh, distracted, moves away from the object of attention, and we bring it back. That's the cultivation of equanimity. <laughs> yeah, right there. That noticing and the attending. Yeah, and so we can say we can say that equanimity is both a manifestation of freedom and of wisdom, but it's also a cultivation yeah, and a ground for wisdom and for wakefulness. Um, and it has a lot of qualities, a lot of attributes or aspects to it. I often use this image when I when I teach uh, on, on equanimity. It's like a like a very very precious gem. <laughs> and apparently, I heard this once. I have no idea, but part of how the preciousness of diamonds is evaluated is by how multifaceted they are, you know, how many, like, planes, like little kind of angles they have. And so I would say equanimity probably beats the the most precious (laughs) diamond in the world. It's so, so rich in its aspects and its facets. Uh, But some of the kind of 
things that kind of you know maybe st- stand out for us and may have stood out for you as you were reflecting um, are you know qualities of spaciousness, expansiveness, um, groundedness, yeah, stability, uh, balance. These are kind of some of the common ones that might come up. I would also add intimacy. Yeah, sometimes less commonly thought of as an aspect of equanimity. Um, and kind of, I think my favorite, or one of my favorites, I'm probably going to say my favorite a lot in this talk, one of my favorites way of speaking about equanimity is, is um, unshakable tenderness. Yeah. Unshakable tenderness. It's got that real steadiness to it, but it also has that tenderness. Uh, interesting often how things come in from you through the day and we've kind of touched on this I think quite a bit in the questions today uh, and also in the one-to-one interviews you know the sense of uh, something very tender very beautiful yeah. and at the same time it's got some uh, power and some kind of unshakability uh, to it and so um, the Buddha uh, spoke about equanimity a lot and one way he described a mind uh, filled with equanimity is um, as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. I'm just going to say it again. (laughs) A mind filled with equanimity, abundant, Exalted, so exalted is like uplifted, yeah. immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Yeah. So maybe we're kind of starting to see that sometimes this um, equanimity is associated with uh, uh, detachment or distance, and we can see in this description not at all detached, yeah, not at all indifferent, yeah. That sense of like abundant and exalted, yeah, at its kind of highest, um, immeasurable. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I love this uh, quote from the Buddha, and he spoke about equanimity this way. He actually speaks about each of the Brahma Viharas in this way, which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so he describes each of them as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Um, and I think that phrase both points to their uh, immeasurable quality, also points to their liberating power. Yeah. And also points to the place of equanimity within all of them, which we'll, we'll get to. But that without hostility and without ill will. Yeah. It's very one description um, of equanimity that, that uh, can be really powerful. And a phrase that comes up in the teachings quite a lot. So sometimes with something complex like like equanimity, um, you know, words really fall short, yeah, and concepts. Yeah. So we might say, okay, maybe I've already convinced you. Maybe, maybe it'll take a little bit more that equanimity is not um, detachment. It's not indifference. Um, and maybe we can say, yes, it's got these qualities of stability and balance. Um, expansiveness, 
Um, but that doesn't quite catch it all. Yeah, it doesn't quite do justice to the kind of sensitive and dynamic and intimate qualities um, of equanimity. And so sometimes it might be more effective to describe something that's complex, and the Buddha was a master of doing this, uh, not as what it is, but as what it is not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was kind of what one of the ways he spoke a lot because you know the often we 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 see that the limits of language yeah limits of language and actually when we say you know rather than saying what this is what is it not or what is absent when there is equanimity or what is equanimity and absence of that can be a helpful um way of speaking about it so I think Nathan mentioned in both of his talks the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. And in particularly uh, the Second Noble Truth that says, you know, with Dukkha, you know, what arises with Dukkha? With Dukkha, Tanha arises. This uh, usually translated as craving or thirst. Um, but we like to talk about it as demand. Yeah. And so... You know, remembering this, that tanha is a feature, yeah, a building block of dukkha, of suffering, of ill, ill-being, yeah, of dis-ease. Yeah. And um, we often like to speak of tanha as the demand yeah, for things to be other or other than they are. Yeah. So I, I, I want this and I don't want that. Yeah, that's the very coarse kind of mo- like really daily thing that we need. <laughs> I want this and I don't want that. That's the movement um, of tanha, the demand for things to be other than they are. Um, and in relation to equanimity, we can say equanimity is non-demanding. Yeah. Equanimity is non-demanding. So equanimity is the absence of tanha, it's the absence of this demand. And therefore maybe we can start to see if there is not this building block, this quality that arises, co-arises together with dukkha. When that is not, then dukkha is also not. Or when that is less, then dukkha is also less. When there's less demand, there's less dukkha. And if equanimity is the absence or the lessening of demand, then when there's more equanimity, there is less dukkha. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's probably enough. <laughs> I can stop here. But really, seriously, if you just remember this, and just remember this, this is really the, the, the crux of it. And something that we can then kind of, um, yeah, we can take into our own practice and, and, and explore in our own experience this relationship. Yeah. Equanimity is the absence of the demand, and in particularly, and we'll come back to this, the demand for me. Because when there's a demand, it's usually for me. <laughs> yeah. on, some, on some level. Yeah. yeah. I want you to be happy so that I can be happy. Yeah. So, yeah.
So I kind of mentioned this already, that equanimity um, is in relationship with the other Brahma Viharas. You know, they're all in relationship with each other. And, and this is, again, something that can be explored um, a lot. Um, I think this came up in one of the, of the question and responses. Um, in the Tibetan tradition, they begin the Brahma-Vihara teachings and practices with equanimity. They see it as the foundation, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. It's taught first, uh, seen as the foundation for the cultivation of the other um, Brahma-Viharas. And sometimes they use the, the language of the protector, yeah. the protector of the other Brahma-Viharas, or we can say the stabilizing factor. Um, for me, like, I, I'm a visual person, so I often see it as the ground, yeah, from which the others can grow, yeah, and be and kind of be nourished. Um, and it offers kind of perspective and wisdom, as well as stability and balance. So that, for example, you know, meta doesn't get really pulled into attachment. You know, it's like sucked in <laughs> from something quite expansive. To then again something quite particular. As I said, I want you to be happy. I need you to be happy. Yeah, the difference, right? Between metta that's got the equanimity, that's got that spaciousness, and um, metta getting sucked into um, demand, into particularity, into attachment. Um, and, you know, we can also see how it works the other way. As we cultivate metta, we're cultivating it to be more expansive. Yeah. And so we're also then cultivating equanimity. Yeah. So it goes both ways. Um, very clear with compassion. Yeah. When there's compassion, there's equanimity. <laughs> yeah. uh, really needs that presence of equanimity not to tip into overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. Real need, like really an essential uh, component, and it's there in the heart uh, of compassion. Um, and again, with Medita, um, and I'm saying this with a lot of care because really, as Nathan was speaking today and yesterday, we really want you to, to kind of let go and surrender to Medita and the enjoyment. And equanimity is there and it kind of stabilizes so that Medita, Medita just doesn't become just a, a giddiness, you know. Yeah, that it stays grounded to some some degree. But at the moment, err uh, on the side of giddiness. I'm just saying that is a <laughs> kind of uh, a, a thing to to keep in mind. So we might say in all of them, it it both kind of is like a ground, um, a framework, um, brings us back to the center. Yeah, which is one of the images that I I like for. Um, for equanimity, you know, it's like, uh, I can't remember the name of this toy in English, um, but, you know, when you have these toys that little children have and you push them and they come back to the center, they come back upright. I can't remember what it's called, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Little kids have them, you know, and they love them. I also love them. You push it and it comes back, you push it and it comes back. So that's like a quality of equanimity that comes back to the center. It doesn't matter what happens, yeah? The storms... Um, of life, the joys of life. Yeah, it comes back to that rooted centeredness, um, and so it really is a support for us in our lives and in our in our practice you know, to navigate um, storms and sunshine. 
yeah, joys and sorrows. A weeble. Okay, thanks Zoe. <laughs> to navigate all of that uh, with poise, yeah, with discernment yeah, and with appreciation. So kind of more images for, for this quality uh, that I find useful. Yeah, one is also from playing uh, a seesaw. Yeah, you know, the seesaw that goes up and down. You have one person on each end and it goes up and down. But the, the center point of the seesaw, that's equanimity, that stays steady. Yeah, the seesaw will go up and down, life will go up and down. But right in there, yeah, in the center point on the axle, yeah, axis, there's, there's this steadiness, this centeredness. Um, so that can be really helpful. Again, I'm sharing images with you because images are helpful for me. And sometimes, you know, we feel like that. Life's just buffeting us up and down, up and down. Or you can find that place that is steady within that. Yeah, it's not other than that. It's within that. Yeah, we can find this stillness. Um, and one more image, hopefully not overloading with them is um, bamboo, yeah, and again, that's a bit like the weeble, <laughs> but the strength of bamboo, yeah, comes from its flexibility and its responsiveness, yeah, it's not a brittle strength, yeah, it's not something that kind of you can push against and then it f- eventually it will break if you put enough force, the bamboo will bend, yeah, it will bend, it's got this flexibility, and responsiveness and so again this is a quality of equanimity responsiveness flexibility to move with um, and yet at its core to not be impacted so like uh, or similarly to compassion the English word equanimity is used to translate two separate Pali words that are used in the texts. Yeah. Interesting when this happens. Yeah. And, um, and each one of these uh, represents kind of different aspects of, of equanimity that are really important uh, for us to understand. So the most common Pali word that is translated as equanimity is upeka, which is how it appears in the Brahma Viharas. And it literally means, Upeka literally means to look over, yeah, or we can say to see uh, with perspective. So again, you know, like imagining if you're up somewhere high, yeah, and you're standing up like on a balcony or on a cliff. Yeah, let's, let's go for a cliff. <laughs> And there's a really, like, you see really big view. Yeah, you see a lot. So that's the quality of this, to look over, um, is to have to see with perspective, to see a big picture, vast view. Yeah, it's a very beautiful um, word, yeah, to look over, to see with perspective. And when we reflect on our own experience, we can see when we look this way, when we see this big view, when we see with perspective, um, it impacts our experience. Yeah. 
again, this is what we do in our practice, you know, when we're not caught up in something, <laughs> at least not completely, right? We're seeing with perspective. Uh, Nathan was touching on this this morning, you know, that there may be a sense of uh, things aren't going very smoothly at the moment. Just that, we're already seeing, <laughs> yeah? And then, ah, what if I, you know, how can I attend to this, yeah? And actually, when we kind of ask those questions, we're extending the perspective that we have. Yeah? It's as if we're going higher. Yeah? We can see more. Yeah? Or as if there's a mist that's covering our view and it starts to be dispelled by the, the illumination of the, of the questioning, of the inquiry. So the kind of, we can say this type of equanimity, the, the capacity to... Um, not to see without getting hooked, without getting pulled into what we see or identified with what we see. So there may be, um, you know, uh, discomfort in the body or restlessness in the mind. You know, this comes up for us or the mudita practice might not be going very well, (laughs) whatever it is. And we're noticing that, but we're not getting hooked into the reactivity. Yeah. Not getting hooked into the reactivity, yeah. We're not identifying with that, but we're keeping some perspective, yeah, which allows us to then um, to to attend to that experience, to respond to it. Yeah. And we can do this in in different ways, you know. The recognition of ah, so okay, right now it's a bit more. Right now it's like riding the bicycle uphill. <laughs> And, and we just remember that. Ah, that's what's happening. And already there's something that can relax a little bit in the tension. Yeah. And then, ah, so what if I do this? What if I do that? And we're opening the perspective. Um, might be, you know, if we're dealing with restlessness or pain in the, in the body, we're just remembering, ah, this feels, you know, the pull of the habit is to see this as something that's really solid and permanent and constant and is going to last forever. But we might just remember, no, it comes and goes. Yeah. Ah, just the previous sitting, <laughs> or, you know, ten minutes ago, my experience was really different. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of open up the perspective, we're opening up the view. Mm-hmm. All of that uh, kind of brings equanimity in, and the more equanimity is developed in us, then uh, the more peace, yeah, we can say, we have access to even when things are not peaceful. This is the interesting thing. Because yeah. it gives us that kind of other, you know, that perspective, that big picture. In the Buddha's time, yeah, the word upeka, this is not the kind of, uh, the, the, the exact um, translation, but it was used, yeah, the way the usage of it uh, was to mean to see with patience. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so we can say, okay, that's how it was used at its time, that kind of, yeah, it's a beautiful meaning, to see with patience. Um, and sometimes, yeah, to see with understanding is another way we can see. So again, that opens up, if we, when we see with patience, it opens up the perspective, right? Because it's not like what is going on right now going on right now but it's part of a continuum yeah it's got a past it's got a future (laughs) yeah 
got all these conditions coming together to create it. And so when we see with patience, when we see with understanding, again, it supports that big picture view in time, in space. And it really, again, supports us not to identify, not to take things so personally. And we know that in our own experience. You know, what happens when we don't take the hindrances personally? So counterintuitive, but it's so revolutionary, it's radical. Uh-huh. When we don't take, you know, this restlessness, this tiredness, this aversion, when we don't identify with it as who we are. Uh-huh. And that's, again, flavor of upeka and something we develop as we do that, as we remember. It's not personal, and I don't need to believe the story that it's telling. The same in our interactions with someone else, you know, when we don't take personally what someone says or does. Yeah. You know, on retreat sometimes th- things are really amplified. So, you know, maybe we <laughs> think like we're kind of, we, we've smiled at someone and they don't smile back, you know. And like our whole day will be coloured by that. Yeah. Our whole day will be coloured by that. Yeah. And maybe all that happened is like, they, they actually didn't notice us smiling. You know, they were in their own world. But we take that personally, and, and Upeka, this seeing the big picture, allows us not to take it personally, which then means we can attend. Yeah, we can attend skillfully to our experience, whether it's internal or in relationship. Yeah. In relationship. And again, when we reflect on the world, on our lives, we see like, what a precious quality if we could just kind of like spread it out like magic dust yeah, in the world. And and people wouldn't take things so personally. Yeah. And we wouldn't be so reactive. So kind of having that sense of ease, even when yeah, things might be challenging or tricky, it opens up the possibilities of skillful response. So Peka, the first word translated as... Um, as equanimity, to see uh, with perspective, yeah. or to see with patience and understanding. The second word, we, Nathan and I just call it the other word, because it's, I'm going to say it and you'll see why. Tatramajatata. Tatramajatata. Yeah. That's the other word. And as you can tell from its length, it's made up from a lot of, a lot of smaller words. Um, it literally means when you put all the small words together it means to stand in the middle of all this to stand in the middle of all this and sometimes um, some poetic uh, translations are you know there in the middleness yeah there in the middleness to stand in the middle of all this or there in the middleness yeah. So again, we get that sense of, of the balance and um, of what I like to call being in the eye of the storm. Yeah. And there in the middleness, the, the storm of life is around us with all its joys and sorrows and that middleness yeah, in the eye of the storm where there is quiet. Yeah. And that capacity for balance, for centeredness, uh, 
with whatever is happening, yeah, which comes from a kind of inner alignment, yeah, an inner strength. And this, uh, you know, these kind of qualities that we are developing on on the on the on the on the path, the integrity, yeah, of our ethics, yeah. uh, the well-being, the confidence, the vitality, yeah, these are all qualities that nourish this um, this middleness uh, capacity, yeah, the way a, a ship, yeah, the ballast of a ship keeps bringing it upright. Yeah, keeping it upright, that sense of that, um, yeah, that strength mm-hmm. that we develop, which is, again, nourished by equanimity and nourishing equanimity. So... You know, we can hopefully see yeah, how Pekka is threaded, I touched on that, through the other Brahma Viharas, um, and also it's worth seeing how um, when we relate or we see or we look through metta, through compassion, through medita, how that supports equanimity. Yeah? I've touched on this a few times because we're increasing the range of what we can be with and what we can be open to. Yeah, it's like we're increasing the range, and that's part of why these are practices where we expand. Mm-hmm. We're constantly increasing the range, um, the range of uh, what we feel connected to, who we feel connected to, um, and intimate with. Yeah. Sometimes we can say what we include and who we include in our circle of care. Mm. And so... You know, we expand this this movement of expanding the range beyond what's intuitive to us, beyond what's easy for us. Um, yeah, of course, with patience, doing it gradually, yeah, not rushing. Um, and as we do that, what happens is, you know, some of the results of that, whether we're doing it with metta, with compassion, or with mudita, is uh, that whole thing of personal preference... <laughs> Yeah, just goes down, is lessened. Yeah, because I'm bringing in, yeah, I'm caring, I'm prioritizing, I'm enjoying the joy of others. And as I'm enjoying the joy of others, it, it's not so important, yeah, to take care of my joy. Yeah, this is kind of, this is such a profound thing. Yeah, the Dalai Lama says, you know, practice medita. You multiply your capacity for happiness by the number of beings in the world. <laughs> That's a really good trade. Yeah. And, you know, just, just my happiness or what's going on well for me, that suddenly feels quite limited in comparison to, you know, the happiness of, of all living beings, even just of a few more. Yeah. So we kind of start to see it's actually in our best interest to cultivate. And so we start, you know, that whole sense of personal preference and the demand for me, yeah, that starts to lessen, but from a sense of abundance and fullness, yeah, yeah, because 
you know, I get in touch with more well-being. So I need to protect what I feel would give me happiness less, and I kind of demand less of experience. Because I kind of get a sense, ah, there is, there is, (laughs) yeah, there is. There's more and more. So lessening the demand for me, yeah, which is equanimity, right? And is less dukkha. As we expand the range of metta, as we expand the range of compassion, as we expand the range of mudita, we're also cultivating uh, equanimity. And we're also nourishing more and more well-being through these cultivations. And so something else uh, opens up, and I said at the beginning my favorite uh, way of speaking about equanimity is unshakable tenderness, and I told you I was gonna not, I was gonna contradict myself, because <laughs> here's my other favorite: to be equally close to all things. This comes from the Tibetan tradition. Yeah. So equanimity as being equally close to all things. Yeah, to all beings. Yeah. And again, we can see that ah, that intimacy <laughs> and that abundance and that richness, yeah. not detached, yeah. not distant, but equally close to all things, yeah. to all things. And something to aspire to and something that we can feel, the movement towards and the presence of sometimes in our lives. And we can also taste the freedom that it brings. Yeah. I mentioned, I think, um, maybe in the previous talk, the leprosy community in, in Anandawan that we used to spend time in and uh, before COVID. And um, so much of my Brahmavihara practice <laughs> took place there. I'm so grateful uh, to that place and the people that live there. Um, and this, this one, one, and hopefully I'll be able to articulate it, um, so every day I you know, work in the morning or um, spend time in the morning in the, in, the old, uh, in the place where the elderly people live, the wisdom bank, he used to call it, um, and uh, you know, work with them, massaging and doing their hair and that kind of thing. And it, there's so much joy and so much sorrow there in, in one place in such a condensed way. And then I would have this walk back from that, you know, that, that, that house where they were, that compound. It's not just a house, a compound where they were, back to, to our accommodation block. Uh, and usually I'd end up doing it on my own, not with other volunteers. And I used to call it in my mind the path of broken hearts. (laughs) Because as I'd be walking back, I'm walking in the community and I'm with the experience of the day, but I'm also constantly meeting people uh, from the community. And everyone greets me like this. Yeah, Everyone greets me like this. And in that path, you know, there is uh, the, the joy of the love, of the meeting, of the, the kind of 
the rebirth, yeah, because people are given a, ch- a second chance in this community. Yeah. Uh, and there's also the pain, yeah, uh, the impact on the bodies, the physical pain, um, the histories, the knowing, the rejection uh, that they've suffered and maybe still are suffering. Um, and so having that sense in my own heart, I used to call it the, the path of broken hearts, because my own heart would be breaking <laughs> as, you know, every day as I'd walk there and, you know, often in tears, yeah. But from both the joy and the sorrow. And this is also part of this kind of understanding that we cultivate with the Brahma Vihara's practice and with the equanimity, that joy and sorrow, pain yeah, and rejoicing are very close together. Yeah? They actually touch the same place in our heart. Yeah? It's the same heart that feels both. It's not two different parts. Yeah? And so often, yeah, we're moved by something or we feel deep joy and we have tears and equally we feel touched by something in a painful way and we have tears um, but that equally close to all things I hope I'm, I'm getting giving you a sense of that on that path that equally close and the non-preference and the understanding that you know in, in this community in Anandaman which is such an embodiment of this yeah, that the joy is so alive because there's also the contact with the pain of our human condition. And certainly for me, yeah, being there, both. So another way of, of saying this, yeah, what we're doing with these Brahma-Vihara practices, sorry. <laughs> ah, probably need to pause and breathe is that we're increasing yeah, the circle of care and of concern beyond our habitual limits. Yeah. And as we're increasing that, less limited, more boundless, that supports more sensitivity and less separation. Yeah. So we're more touched, we're more moved. Yeah. We're more uh, able to include and to hold. And with that comes... Uh, so much well-being and such a deep well-being yeah. because it's a well-being uh, that has a lot less boundaries yeah. it's a well-being that comes from the contact and the connection that comes from the care for a wider and wider uh, circle of beings and of experience So as we're practicing with any of the Brahma Viharas, yeah, we're increasing this range, we're expanding these limits, we're growing in sensitivity and in strength. Yeah. And in strength. I think Nathan mentioned Baba Amate, the uh, founder of Ananda, one of the leprosy community, who yeah. We met him, he was already in his 90s and had a lot of physical pain. <laughs> a lot of physical pain. And I could say a lot about him, but I think the, the thing that I will always remember was him saying to us uh, many, many times with complete conviction, he would say, um, 
I'm ready to die. Yeah. I'm ready to die. There's equanimity. <laughs> and maybe it's, it's one of its kind of most um, precious and unique forms. He would say, because when I look outside my window, I see that my people are happy. Yeah. And I know that I've done my work. Yeah. And a life lived constantly expanding that circle of care. Yeah. Allowing more and more in. Yeah. And so as we increase that range, as we open those boundaries at our own pace, in our own way, yeah? at our own pace, in our own way, we're not all him and we don't need to be. Yeah? Each have our own way. As that range grows, equanimity kind of flowers. Yeah? Yeah? It flourishes. Yeah? And we kind of start to feel at ease yeah? across more situations. Yeah, and with more conditions. Yeah. We have a larger space yeah, to meet our own lives, the lives of others, yeah, and what they bring, including yeah, the uncomfortable, the painful, the challenging. And as we grow in, in equanimity, uh, we also grow in possibilities of response. Yeah? So again, mentioning that aspect of responsiveness not detached yeah? and it often has this one aspect of the pausing yeah? the capacity to to take the time and to feel and to open but it also has the responsiveness and so as we pause, as we're not pulled into reactivity yeah, we open to more possibilities of skillful wholesome responsiveness So, you know, equanimity is something that we cultivate in our practice, as I said at the beginning, all the time, (laughs) and in many ways. We cultivate it towards our own experience, and we also cultivate it towards others, towards others, as we both, um, you know, bring them into our circle of care, and also develop the poise yeah, the steadiness, the balance, to not be overwhelmed by that care. Yeah, to not be overwhelmed by that care. So it's an ongoing exploration, it's an ongoing journey. Yeah, there's always more to develop. Yeah, always more to develop, always more to include. Yeah, and that it's a beautiful journey. That's maybe uh, the last point to make. It's a beautiful journey for us to keep refining, to keep expanding, to keep exploring, to keep tasting these flavors of equanimity and what they open up for us and for the world. So let's let's end here with uh, just a, a few moments of silence together.
So thank you for your listening and your practice and your presence. And uh, if it's tea time, enjoy your tea or any other form of practice. And we'll meet later this evening for the guided practice together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.